Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Joe Moeller. I am the co-host of Yuppies and Harpoons. With me is my good friend, Jacob. And uh, today we're going to be covering... Well, I'm not sure how many topics we're going to be covering, but the the big one we we kind of want to go over and throw some darts at is Iran, the country of Iran, and kind of what they're doing uh, in the region. They had some deals with Saudi um, that were negotiated with China, and obviously they had a big role in the attack uh, that Hamas placed on Israel. And there's just a lot going on about Iran, but uh, here in the immediate, uh, something that happened today. Um, Jim Jordan is the is the new guy that the GOP conference has chosen to try to run for speaker, and he has had two mm-hmm. uh, unsuccessful bids for um, for winning the speakership, and uh, it's really exposed a lot of the uh, the division in the GOP. And uh, I was kind of wondering, Jacob, like, what were what were your thoughts on on just kind of his performance and. Uh, yeah, just where the speaker race might be going from here. Yeah, I mean, the second vote uh, that happened today had less support than it did uh, in the first. So he's going backwards in support. Um, so, you know, just in a short period of time, he was not able to rally support, um, which as a speaker, you know, leading, uh, you know, essentially one half the aisle, you really need to be able to do that and do it on a, you know, with a lot of pressure and a lot at stake. So that's that's not good. Uh, that's not a strong way to start. If he continues this process, um, you know, I, I don't see enough uh, people coming together for him to be the speaker. Um, just based off who he is, his history, I think some people are willing to give him a, a benefit of the doubt. And then after today's second round, I, I think only he's only going to lose support, um, which which then kind of leads to the Democrats having a lot of control here and the Democrats winning. If Republicans can't find someone to um, back and support, then Democrats will be able to, one, either negotiate um, with a moderate and find a moderate that maybe they can win some Republican votes with, or, you know, uh, there's a few other worst-case scenarios as well. Um, And this all is looming with a budget coming up um, and a government shutdown. (laughs) <laughs> this might be a place where we might have some disagreement because I uh, I think one of the worst case scenarios is Jim Jordan being the speaker, and yeah, and so um, I I certainly um, do not want him to succeed. I think it was just ridiculous what he and um, you know, Scalise won the conference vote, and then a bunch of Jordan um, proponents basically held out, and Scalise drops out. Jim Jordan supposedly told Scalise that you get one ballot, and mm-hmm. um, you know. And then just to see his blatant hypocrisy on his uh, on his own ambitions to to win, you know, he's gonna he's gonna try and run yeah. this thing as many times as he can. But I think the fact that he lost um, votes is pretty uh, damning to say the least. I think um, you know he's a he's a weak candidate. He's he hasn't done anything substantial. I mean, obviously he started the House Freedom Caucus, but um he's you know so kind of riddled in scandals with his time you know mm-hmm. spent at ohio state and you know not reporting uh, or not taking seriously sexual allegations sexual assault allegations against um people you know associated with the the wrestling team well and, so, and, and the the worst part about no one being stepping up really i guess is why why isn't there anyone to step in that's the part that i'm i'm really pushing for you know yeah jim jordan 
he hasn't really shown he's a proven leader. He's shown that he can do Fox uh, voice clips as needed when they have, you know, testimony and, and he says something that's just loud and obnoxious, but has no substance to it. Um, and that's, I mean, I think that's coming through pretty strong here too. That's kind of where his, what his abilities are is, is just being loud and saying crazy things. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, one of the, I was talking to a friend of mine today. He was a, you know, he's a pretty liberal Democrat. And I was saying that I get sick of people in the center, you know, whether you're center right or center left, not using your leverage as someone who is in the center and who can flip and, um, you know, work with centrist figures across the aisle. Um, that leverage is never exercised. And here we had a, a far right maniac in Matt Gates who recalled the speakership. And to me, I, I think that, you know, he, he partnered with Democrats to take out McCarthy. He mm-hmm. and eight radical Republicans. Um, there just doesn't seem to be any thought about um, center-right Republicans teaming up with Democrats and and and, and basically not letting let, letting you know uh, Matt Gates get his scalp. Um, and right. obviously Gates you know, took out McCarthy successfully, um, but the real success for Gates is going to be who replaces or his success will really be dependent on who the next speaker is. And if you wind mm-hmm. up with someone like Patrick McHenry, um, that's not that that's a that's a right. failure, you know that's a huge failure, and um, that seems to be where the momentum is heading. And uh, I I just I just think the whole thing is is bizarre. And finally, finally, after um, you know Jim Jordan had two unsuccessful ballots, um, it, it seems like centrist Republicans are starting to say, you know what. Um, we're, we're we're not going to cave on this. We're not going to go out and give the speakership to someone further to the right, um, right, and and reward the behavior uh, that, for, in my opinion, Matt shouldn't even be in the Republican conference. I think he should be thrown out for what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think centrist uh, Republicans are are beginning to realize that they have leverage, and you know, they, they they'd be perfectly fine with someone like Pat, like Patrick McHenry, and, and they don't mind you know compromising. And, and working with Democrats to be able to pull that across the, the finish line. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a whole lot of s- scenarios that could occur. Um, I don't think Jordan's ever going to get the um, the speakership, but um, I think that you could see. I mean, I think McCarthy. there's a reason he he didn't run, you know, nine months ago. The first time this was an issue, too. There was no support back then for Jordan. Yeah. So why well, who wants nine to... months later do we have support? Right. No, I no, I totally agree with that. Um, but I, but I, I mean, I, I think either McCarthy, uh, <laughs> McCarthy might come back and and and, and potentially get um, Democrat support, which I think would be pretty. Re- I think it'd be really funny if if he was able to pull that off. Um, or yep. you could actually just see um, them expand and- the powers mm-hmm. of the interim speaker and basically have that ride out till the 2024 elections and have um, uh, Patrick Henry be the interim speaker of the house, which if you're Matt <laughs> Gates, it's like that. What, what a, what a total flop, man. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And it, in through this whole process, I tell you what, Hakeem Jeffries is really looking like a strong leader in 
you know, winning the press. Yeah. He knows how to handle the pressure and, and he's been quiet until now. He's, you know, he's known when to speak and when to just let things play out. Um, and really, I think at the end of the day, Hakeem's Jeffries in a position to really gain a lot of authority in, in the house and on Capitol Hill, um, which, you know, we, he replaced Nancy Pelosi. There's a question whether he could fill those shoes. And so far he's, he's on track. It looks that to me. it's impressive. I mean, you gotta, you gotta give the guy some credit because he has command of that caucus. And I mean, yes. from the far left to the center left, everybody supports him unquestionably. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it just shows you the stark difference in party unity between, yes. um, Republicans and Democrats. I mean, it's just um, there's so much more we could, we could say about that. But um, I think I, yeah. you, you want to work your way into uh, talking about Iran. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know, starting out with Iran. I mean, just a, a quick update on Israel and, and kind of Gaza, uh, and some some just thoughts around that this week. Um, so this is October 18th recording this podcast, which is important as this is a day-to-day, plenty of updates um, and plenty going on there. So I think one of the main dominance uh, takeaways of the past week is a couple different factors. One is just the media's role in this and the accountability with the media and providing truthful journalism and not jumping at every clickbait that they can get their hold of. Um, and another factor too, is the response for pro Hamas, um, sentiment around a lot of the Western world. So kind of separating even like pro Palestine, but really people focusing on like pro Hamas rhetoric. And it's been really shocking, um, to me just to watch how open that this support has been for Hamas and sympathetic towards Hamas, uh, you're seeing it on college campuses and now a number of the universities um, are you know, losing funding from supporters and a kind of a ripple effect from that of supporting a group that did something uh, in greater scale than what 9-11 would have been to the U.S. And within the week following, people are already showing support objectively for the terrorist group and not, not the, the the civilians of Palestine, which I think is a major difference there. Um, I don't know what thoughts you have around kind of some of the signs of support um, going around and so forth, Joe. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, there's no, there's no correct answer to give that anybody's going to like. You can say that you're, you can call, you can say that Hamas is the worst thing on earth. And then, You'll you'll be thrown out by thrown out into the garbage by thirty percent of the population here in the U.S. And then if you say that Hamas was justified in what it did, then probably you know fifty to sixty five percent of the country is going to you know, call you a terrorist. I mean, there's just um, you know, my position is is that hostile environments, um, radioactive environments, produce hostile movements. And yeah. I don't think that that should be surprising to anybody. Now, the situations and the circumstances that cause those environments um, can be very, very complicated. And mm-hmm. uh, I get really, really tired of people on either side of the issue 
saying that the issue with it, between Israel and Palestine isn't complicated. It is extremely complicated. And right. um, Correct. you know, Hamas is as an organization I have uh, no, no, no time for. Um, I think yes. that they use Palestinian fear as a catalyst. I think that there's a lot of people on the left um, and people who are advocates of, of the of of the Palestinian cause, if you will, who want to say that um, people who are in Hamas are well-intentioned soldiers who just want to fight for their people. And, you know, I remember seeing like, videos of during the Ukraine war when um, there would be Russian soldiers you know, coming over who would be captured and they'd be crying. They're like, I don't even want to be here. You know, he's just a good old Russian boy, you know, and, and he's, he's put in a Russian uniform fighting Putin's war and all that. And mm -hmm. um, I think that there is a point to be made that the the vices of a terrorist organization or um, or any group like Hamas, um, the people there's a dramatic difference in. Uh, in the morality of the leadership and the people that they employ to accomplish their objectives, I think that there's a lot more. Um, I think there's a lot of people who are probably in Hamas who um, you know, have had no meaning in their life, who have had um, the you know want, the highest aspiration that they'll ever that they could ever attain in their circumstance in Gaza was to be mayor of an open air prison. Um, right. And and so they have nothing to lose, you know, and but that's categorically different from the people who actually orchestrate what Hamas does. And mm -hmm. that can't be that can't be questioned. So, um, it, yeah, so I, I, that, that's my that's my view of of, of Hamas and what um, what what they've done. And, you know, they have mm -hmm. put the people in Gaza into a situation. I, 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 I've been thinking about this for like the past week nonstop. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do if you're the Israelis. You know, I don't know what yes. you do uh, if you're a person in Gaza. I can't. I can't even imagine what it would be like. I mean, if you go on right. on um, on social media and you watch, you just listen to the missiles that are coming down. Imagine being there. You know, the constant the siren screaming. I mean, one point mm -hmm. one million people migrating south to where another one point two million people live. Um, you know, the Israelis literally are turning off the water and turning off the electricity to get the people in northern gaza to southern gaza i mean it, it's mm -hmm. a, it, you know and, and then and then people are being shot and they're being killed you know why they're why they're going to southern gaza and you know there's uh, schools that are being bombed mosques that are being bombed and then you know if you presume the best about the israelis you, there's no way they're going to bat a thousand on that there's no way that they're always going right. to hit a target you know the, 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 it, there's you know, and and so you, you have what looks to be just atrocious acts of manslaughter, where you know churches and schools are being shot up, and innocent civilians are dying, and you know somebody may have miscalculated about whether or not there was like a Hamas headquarter base underneath the underneath the facility. I, I just can't imagine what it'd be like to be over there. Yeah. Right now. I just I, I, I can't. And, you know, a ground invasion, maybe they can pick out civilians versus the military, but right now that's not really possible. Just the 
you know, uncertainty of, of what that would even look like. And meanwhile, Hamas has continued firing missiles there. And so, it's, you know, Israel is really just, what, what do you do? There's no option. Well, there, and that's one of the problems that, you know, that makes, you know, Hamas, one of the worst things that Hamas does uh, that I think makes it a, a just a deplorable organization, um, if, if you can even call it that, uh, is that it's um, they don't wear uniforms. It, right. It's a violation of, of international law and, and the laws of war where, it, you know, it's basically, you know, you, you can't camouflage tanks as ambulances. It's an atrocity. And I think I think that's, you know, one of my concerns with, um, you know, media right now is kind of the willingness to jump to conclusions so quickly throughout this process and the news of the mm-hmm. hospital being missile uh, hit by missiles yesterday from Israel, which then quickly led to um, no, you know, Israel denying the facts and then that leading to, you know, details coming out that it was really a, you know, rocket that Hamas had launched failed and landed in a yeah. uh, parking lot. And it seems like not even close to 500 people, were killed in that incident. Um, but you know, for most of yesterday morning, um, on Monday morning, it was the, the headlines were all breaking news, 500 killed in a missile strike on a, a hospital. And, yeah. you know, I, the reason I say that too, is it's very easy to start building narratives and there's so many moving parts because this is a war. We're not going to have accurate information. You saw this, um, there was early reports um, after October 7th that 40 babies were um, beheaded in a field. And that turned out to be incorrect, right? And that was passed around. I believe even Biden mentioned that, right? And, um, you know, what ends up leading to... It's funny you mentioned that. I was thinking the same thing, that like these, uh, not, not, not to interrupt, but like the 40 babies, the 40 beheaded babies narrative was something that the media jumped all over. And it was something mm-hmm. that, that, that Israeli that you would think would benefit the Israeli narrative. Right. But then, right. Uh, you know, uh, then, uh, then the hospital gets bombed and instantly the media says, Oh, you know, Israel did it. And, 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 and here you, it, it was just, it turns out in both situations, like the media was completely wrong. There were no beheaded yep. babies and Israel didn't bomb the hospital. Um, it, it's just, I think and, and we I th- are in a information, um, uh, we're having an information catastrophe right now. Not only, I mean, obviously when it, when you're dealing in with war and what's mm-hmm. reliable information, I mean, the same thing you had, you saw happen with like Ukraine where you had like this, you know, yeah, like Brian Fitzpatrick, a U.S. rep from Pennsylvania right. posting photos of like a, a magic Ukrainian jet who like shot down seven Russian jets. And it's like, okay, that was clearly bull. Um, you know, and so misinformation just, just circulates and it's just saturated in, in, in war. But mm-hmm. um, it, it, there's also the problem of deep fakes. And, you know, yes. I, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, Ben Shapiro put out and got into a bunch of controversy about showing pictures of a burnt baby that CNN took down because it was allegedly a, a, a deep fake photo, or I'm not sure how, the, how that works, or if it was a deep fake video. Um, and I'm just kind of watching this all in real time where you can honestly be 
in an age where deep fakes start are starting to become a real thing, it's starting to look like people can rationally within their own judgment believe things that are just completely false on and and, yes. and and be on both sides of the issue and feel entirely justified on it because there is no there's not, not hardly anything's reliable um you know and and, and ai and, and and especially with deep fakes it's just i don't i don't know how these social media platforms are supposed to respond to this it's 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 a nightmare it, it's going to be and and i think my worry with this is situation with like iraq after 9-11 where you have you know really devastating event happen and what ends up happening is you see an alienation of um the humanity in you know muslim americans or you know muslims around the world and the narrative is so strong so pushed and then you know you see we just completely dehumanize people and and then nothing ends up ever happening. You know, Iraq was a failure in sense of the objectives that we loosely had were never even achieved and, and were really given up on. I think with this situation with, you know, the 40 babies situation, it, it sounds like it's going to benefit Israel, but then it just feeds into, you know, the pro Palestine movement of saying like, Hey, see, they're fabricating information when there were situations where babies were found you know, beheaded, not to that extent. Yeah. And, you know, so, so that kind of got completely glossed over because this right. one story made it fake. And then on the, you know, the hospital side with the hospital being bombed, it's, you know, it, it overshadows then the, the civilians that were killed by Israel and not by um, Hamas and their own people, you know? And so then it just allows for the argument to be strengthened on both sides over false information um, and, you know, just drives basically no solution, um, and resentment from everyone. <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, so, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, there's so many problems that, you know, misinformation creates. I mean, look at the, if you look at the, the beheaded babies story, all of a sudden, you know, people on the Palestinian side were saying, see, 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 fake information. I'm like, last I checked 1400 Israelis still died. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, Wait, so why no, why are we speaking about yeah. like oh we did we didn't do this this you know horrific atrocity? Event. Not, but it's not like you still thing, you know you still uh, paratrooped on you know a dance uh, you know EMD okay. festival. Wait, like come right. on. <clears throat> and, and then you know um, you know and then you have the situation with uh, with the hospital and and the school and I mean believe me, uh, Israel has not just. Even if Israel didn't bomb this hospital, it has bombed churches. It has definitely bombed schools. Um, right. And anybody who thinks that you know the Israelis are, I, I, I do, I do know people on the Israeli side. They they think that they they are cautious and that they call houses and they say, you know, get you this amount of time to evacuate and stuff like that. Um, I I don't think that we would. I, I don't think that that's a good metric necessarily to to know if somebody is engaging ethically in war. Like if the Russians were calling Ukrainian houses uh, and saying, hey, you have this much time to evacuate uh, and then proceeded to obliterate the buildings. I, I don't think the people in, in, you know, in, in the West would be like, oh, wow, look at these guys, real great fighters, you know, real ethical uh, use of their, of their, of their missiles. Like, I, I just don't, 
I don't quite I don't quite buy well, into that. And that also, I mean, the the difficulty there and the difference there is you don't have Hamas actively trying to use civilians as shields too. And yeah, that side right. of it. So that they that's where it complicates uniforms. it. Right. They or do have not they do uniforms. engage. Right. But in Korea, yeah, Ukrainians you know. do wear uniforms. Yeah. And so they're playing by a different rule book. So you know, that even adds if you know if Russia was doing it, I think people would be upset, but there at least be a playbook that they're playing by that is agreed yeah. upon. You know, I think that's part well, of the challenge here. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things people need to realize, you know, about the hospital is that um, it it is if you Google the hospital, it's it's been known for a long time that it's an, underneath the hospital are, are Hamas coordinates there. There are they have mm-hmm. meeting places. They have I wouldn't know if you call it headquarters, but there are certainly facilities underneath the hospital that Israeli intelligence knows are there. And so, um, you know, the fact I believe that the Hamas hospital, has publicly uh, it, it, said, right. You know, Hamas has even yes. said themselves, like it's, it's, that's the thing that kills me is, is so many people like it, Hamas publicly states the information and then it's in question. Um, but then, you know, that, that can be challenged there too. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, and but it should be noted that if if Israel actually, and, and it's hard. This is horrible to say. Anybody who's listening, um, it's it, it, I, I'm not. I, I'm not trying to justify the action. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to explain the international law here. If right. Israel were to hit a hospital because it believed that there was a terrorist organization underneath the hospital, it's. It doesn't violate international law. It doesn't violate the walls of war. Um, you know, it, because what you can't do in a war crime is when you purposely target civilians. But if if you target, you know, terrorists, um, people like Hamas and civilians are killed as a result of the strike, that's not a war crime. And, you know, Hamas, but, but Hamas wants, and, and I believe this, you know, the, the leaders of Hamas, um, are willing to sacrifice the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Palestinians, um, you know, in order to, well, we can get into this. Um, yeah. Create more instability, which is precisely what countries like Iran want. And um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a, it's an absolute, it's an absolute mess. And it, well, it makes the story believable too, because we know Hamas has this base underneath the hospital. We know it'd be a target, you know, military target. We see a headline saying the hospital is destroyed by Israel, you know, rocket. It's instantly, well, that makes sense. You know, why would Israel let that many civilians die too? And it allows the story to go on, which part of that instability, again, like what you're just leading to is Iran then and, and how, how much they orchestrate uh, instability throughout this whole region and really trying to press that around the world um, and, and driving a lot, you know, a lot of blame can go towards Iran and willingness to support these uh, terrorist groups and different uprisings around the Middle East and, and try to play chess with a lot of these countries and instability. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it's tough because um, you know I was talking to some people who are on the um, Palestinian side, and you know they they were wondering why in the world uh, the U.S. was putting aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean Sea. They're like, do 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 you get, do you think Gaza needs more planes above it? You know, don't do do the Israelis not have enough? And, um, you know, what, what I, what I said to him is that you know, this is, this is geopolitics. This is not, this isn't just about an issue between Hamas and Israel. This is an issue about the, about the region and, um, you know, about who perpetuated Hamas, who funded Hamas. And, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, a joke that goes around quite commonly about, you know, you're, if, if you, if you mess with Israel, you're about to find out why. The Americans don't have free health care, um, <laughs> and it's it, it's this you know, it's, joke, it's obviously this, yeah. these fleets that sit on top of these aircraft carriers, um, and you know we've put two of them now outside of in, inside the Mediterranean Sea, and so why are they there? Um, you know, part of the reason I mean the main the main reason that they're there is because they do not want uh, the U.S. is not interested in. Having Hezbollah, which is a basically a, a terrorist military arm of Iran that operates in Lebanon, uh, and those who aren't familiar with, with the borders surrounding Israel, Lebanon is directly north. Syria is kind of in like the, the the northeast side, and then you have Jordan on the eastern side, and Egypt in the in the southern region, and then Gaza is and, in the southernmost part of um, of, of Israel that is mm-hmm. a, also along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So that's kind of the, um, that's kind of the, the surroundings for, for Israel. And so, um, Israel, and, and Israel, because, Israel because is the size of New on, Jersey. Just give me one sec. Yeah. Yeah. Or, just for context, the, Israel yeah. is about the size of New yeah, Jersey. Israel's so the size all those countries are around that small. Right. And so, so it's going to take a serious amount of, of manpower to do a, a land invasion in, uh, in Gaza, right. And Gaza is in the South. So Israel has been reallocating a lot of its troops to uh, potentially the south, but they're concerned about, um, you know, Hezbollah launching rockets in from Lebanon, which, you know, threatens to, to cities like um, like Haifa, which is in northern Israel, um, and areas like the Golan Heights, um, and so, which were, I believe, were annexed and uh, recognized by the Trump administration. So, um, there, there's concern that Iran is going to, you know, through Hezbollah, basically put pressure on northern Israel while Israel is preoccupied with, you know, things that are going on in the south. And um, the other, the other thing that um, that the the U.S. is trying to do is it doesn't want uh, normalization uh, discussions between Saudi Arabia and Israel to fall through. This is this is really important. Um, Yes. Part of the agreement that the U.S. has with Israel is, you know, obviously we're going to come to your defense if you're if there's an existential crisis for your country. Um, if part part of the normalization agreement between uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia, opening their borders, letting their citizens visit each other, and vice versa, having you know bilateral trade, um, is that the Saudis would be put into the American security family. Uh, in other words. If Iran were to um, try to threaten Saudi Arabia for some for some reason, um, the same amount of protection that the U.S. is 
showing Israel by putting two aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean would be found sitting outside of Saudi Arabia. And so the U.S. Mm -hmm. wants to demonstrate to Saudi Arabia the um, the benefit of of, of American security, um, it, military security. And so um, obviously there's there's other factors at play here as well. But I think those are the two driving and most most relevant things to to be aware of. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. And Saudi Arabia's role in this whole thing is, is pretty crucial. Um, the two countries, Iran and Saudi Arabia, have had tensions uh, going back decades now <clears throat> and even further back there, but really since the Iranian revolution. Um, and part of that has been because of uh, the U.S. favoring uh, Saudi Arabia during this time period. Um, and, and over the last several years, Saudi Arabia has really been making a lot of grounds with the U S through, you know, mainly investment through the sovereign wealth fund, and, but some other pretty large, um, areas as well, just geopolitically at uh, the Saudi Arabia has helped, uh, the U S and been, and shown, shown, um, support towards the U S. Um, some of that I feel like has been under question under the Biden administration and their, mm. um, I would say temperature towards, um, trusting Biden. Um, so kind of famously the first time Biden met with the crown prince, um, you know, they didn't shake hands and, and that some of that was around Jamar Khashoggi's, uh, you know, assassination and, you know, Biden wanting to show strength around, um, free speech and, and, you know, the right and wrong. But I, you know, I think the latest movements and, and Biden's response in, in this, in, in this situation here, this war, um, I think has really shown some of that benefits that Saudi Arabia originally expected and, and would want, um, from the U S. Yeah. Well, and, and there's also this, um, if we're going to talk about Iran, we have to talk about Israel. Uh, you just can't. We've talked about Israel a lot already, but um, you know, uh, I think you know to uh, depending on what you think of a you know Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, his legacy prior to this invasion from Hamas um, was the Abraham Accords. And for those who aren't familiar with what the Abraham Accords are, they're basically normalization agreements that um, Israel is able to reach with surrounding Arab countries like Bahrain, like the United Arab Emirates, um, like Morocco. Uh, I think there was an, I think there's another one in there. Um, but there were, there were, there were four countries that were able to sign on um, during the mm -hmm. Trump administration. And the Saudis were very influential in basically making those happen. Basically, none of those countries would have made, would have normalized relations with Israel without the implicit permission of Saudi Arabia. Now, the the reason that Saudi Arabia, uh, or I'm sorry, the reason that Israel was seeking to do this is because they they basically wanted to leverage their technological innovation, um, and against Iran, and so their mm -hmm. strategy was we're going to be we're going to normalize relations with the rest of the Arab world and basically have the Arab world um, surround Iran, and so Iran mm -hmm. has been trying to counteract that and. Do everything it can to basically stop what what Israel's been trying to do, um, 
and so you saw that the like the UAE actually created a had a normalization uh, with um, with Iran at the same time that it signed in um, into an agreement between itself and Israel, um, and right. more recently the um, Saudi Arabia, which uh, in a deal negotiated by China, um, was able to reach you know a, an agreement with with Iran, and so Iran has has realized this, and it's part of the reason that they funded uh, Hamas. Um, Iran, Iran feels so strongly about um, the about Israel not having not normalizing um, trade and relations with Saudi Arabia that it's willing to basically fund um, a domestic terrorist group in uh, in within within Gaza um, to you know basically usurp that and it's um, it, it, it's caused a lot of havoc. The, you know, the um, Secretary Blinken. Has said that new talks have not ceased, but they're they're um, they're they're at least uncertain, and um, mm-hmm. you know for the time being between Israel and, and Saudi Arabia, and so right, and and I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Is it right now is not the time to be having these conversations? You know, between the two countries, Israel has its priority, and you know why would they? be focusing on negotiating at this point in time until they kind of have a better grasp of of what they're dealing with um, on their own soil so far. Um, So, you know, once, once we kind of get a better idea um, of what's taking place on the grounds and the different, you know, Israel has a a better understanding. I think it'll be interesting to see if those quickly uh, resume or, or if they kind of, if Saudi Arabia will want to wait until this seems to be completely settled. Well, and and part of the reason that these that these Arab countries have began normalizing relations with Israel, it wasn't just about their technology. Um, Israel, to its credit, led the fight um, against the Iran nuclear deal, and so it, it yes. was not, and it wasn't, it wasn't like the um, the Crown Prince coming over to Congress. To challenge a sitting U.S. president, and about about going forward with the Iran nuclear deal, it was it was Benjamin Netanyahu who came over and challenged the U.S. president in Congress. I mean, it was, it was right. unprecedented what what Benjamin Netanyahu did. It took because it, it what's at stake is and, is billions and billions of dollars of aid that we provide to Israel too by you know potentially right. challenging the U.S. like that. That there's some pretty high stakes on its home dirt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, and and on on and, and and what that did was it it told other Arab countries that were that were fearful of Iran that the the leader on this issue, the number one proponent in in, in our region who opposes Iran getting a hold of a nuclear weapon, is Israel. And as much as we don't like Israel, they're in the. I mean, they are closer to anybody to the Americans and. There, they would be a val, they would be a vital ally, and then, and the, and then the Americans see that and like, oh, oh, so you think Israel's important? Yeah, it is important. And if you normalize relations with them, and so that we can set up a wide range of security apparatus, we're going to give you um, security. We're 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 going to provide military protection over you uh, in case Iran, you know, invades. And and, and his concerns, Netanyahu's concerns, was. Some of it was providing legitimacy to the Iran um, regime and saying, like, 
these are not people to make deals with. Um, and th the whole idea was that they would not be able to enrich uranium. They would have, would not be able to um, create and develop any hard water um, systems all used in, in nuclear warfare. Um, and the, the reality of it and the concerns of it was um, that this was not a fully hashed out plan. This had a 10 year time frame and then it would sunset. Um, and so some of the feedback there was the sanctions would be lifted. These sanctions were pretty crippling to um, just Iran's total economy. Their oil exports were cut nearly in, over in half um, by the sanctions. And so by lifting these sanctions, it allows for during this 10 year pan, span, Iran to build up funds and, and ability to mobilize and then at the end um you know then the negotiating table is going to be significantly different when you have a, a strong iran versus um one that's been crippled um you know in the homeland the people are protesting and and then you know then Yahoo's whole concern around that is saying you're propping up this country that is is actively funding terrorist groups and cells that are looking to one get rid of Israel and the state of Israel, um, and and two um, then cause further instability in the the Middle East and, and possibly a World War Three. So those are some of the concerns there and and so forth. Yeah, and it kind of creates this weird problem, right? Where when you, when you talk about a country getting a nuclear weapon, you know, you. you People will say, you know, why, why shouldn't Iran have a right to be able to get its own nuclear weapon? Well, because the more countries that have a nuclear weapon, the more leaders in the world there are that could press a button. That's why. Um, and, you know, yes, of course, us here in the U.S., we have the added benefit of being someone who can press a button. And we can press a lot right. of buttons. But... Um, Part of the, I, I guess, the agreement that the Americans try to make with countries is that, look, we will open up your economy. We will give you tons of money. And if somebody – we have our military. Our military has nukes. And if anybody threatens to obliterate you, we'll obliterate them. And so countries have been like, get rich and depend on a country that eh, – they're kind of dependable. They're okay. You know, mm -hmm. A lot of countries take that bargain. Iran did not. Iran was like, you guys toppled our government. Screw you. Um, we'll take the sanctions happily and so that we can, you know, go and create our own, um, our own, you know, basically our own self-defense and have our own nuclear weapons. And, and you know, we're willing to pay mm -hmm. the consequences. I don't necessarily think that that's what the Iranian people want. Um, but it's clearly what the, uh, the administration and Tehran's interested in. Right. And the Supreme Leader, Ali Hermani, um, he's one of the longest serving uh, leaders in the Middle East. Um, he took over, and I believe it was in the 80s. Um, prior to that, was in leadership in the, the Irani government from the revolution. Prior to that, he was in jail um, due to, you know, being opposition um, of, of the party before the revolution and 
this is an individual who has assassinated people all around the world and has really done some pretty horrendous, you know, things against humans, uh, crimes against humanity. And, and there's just a lot of different ways of legitimizing him by having this Iran deal that um, Netanyahu was concerned about of saying we're propping up this individual who has a proven track record of not playing by the same rules that we're entering into other countries who are playing by another set of rules. Um, yeah. So. I, I, you know, I, listen, I, I agree. I, I think that the leader in Iran is terrible. Um, I would also say that there's some, there's probably some officials in the Pentagon that are equally deplorable, but sure. um that, you, know, you want to play you now, I, play the both sides yeah i uh, i mean i but i would i would not i would not i would not say that there's more equivalence between the us and iran that is not what i'm saying um but when it comes to i don't know i i always i always tread carefully whenever i hear somebody say that um you know the the, the guy assassinated you know people and i mean we assassinated Soleimani. <laughs> i mean we we right. took out their second you know, they're second, they're second in command. I mean, um, and, you know, you can say he was a terrible man. Well, at the time he was also negotiating with Saudi Arabia, you know, and, and mm -hmm. the U.S. had did, did not want to see peace between or normalization be, occur between um, Iran and Saudi Arabia. And there was and, and so there's speculation. It's not confirmed, obviously, but there's speculation that actually what happened was U.S. intelligence found out. That there was uh, there were negotiations, and that Soleimani was actually leading those negotiations between Iran and and, and Saudi Arabia, and took them out. Um, Are those verified then? Or no, they're not verified. They're okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but you know the, the I mean it, that and that's what's nice, right? Is that if you are a deplorable human being like Soleimani, then it's always appropriate to take him out, and you can take <laughs> him out when it's the most convenient for your, you know. For you and so um but but I, I just felt the the need to you know throw that in there um but it is it is interesting how um i, I did want to know what your thoughts were on china kind of working its way um in being that um you know that that negotiator i think they get about 30 30 percent of their oil from the gulf and so they've kind of become um tensions between my, my understanding is that Iran and um, Saudi Arabia export oil and in China seems to get um, has does a, does a lot of commerce with both countries and for them to be um, at odds is actually something that, that China um, doesn't want to see happen for its own interests. Mm -hmm. Well, in China has a pretty ambitious vision for what they want for their country. Um, I would be, I, I would be surprised to see them get involved too much here. I think this is a good distraction for China there to wait, you know, kind of remain quiet and then pivot and, and find a way to come out on top, you know, maybe afterwards stepping in and providing substantial aid and, and infrastructure for one side that you can see a clear benefit of supporting. Um, there's, I think, I think they're going to kind of remain a little quiet during this time period. If, if, if I had to kind of guess and then try to step in as 
a hero at some point when timing is perfect. No, and it's just, so yeah, it is. It is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting that they're kind of uh, they did stick their head in the you know in, in the middle of um, the Israeli uh, war with Hamas, with Israel's war with Hamas. Um, that, you know, mm-hmm. by saying that Israel's acting beyond um, what's needed for self defense. I thought that you know as if China has any room to speak on you know, human rights. Um, but um, where the U.S. is actually having regional pressures, you know, we have pressures in, in Ukraine, we have pressures in Israel, and obviously we have pressures in Taiwan. And, you know, there's only one military in the world that could actually keep all the stuff at bay, and that's the American military. But right now, I think there's a real undercurrent in the in u.s politics that just says why is this any of our problem like why does why does any of this bother or concern us and um i think other countries sense that i think they sense that the support for ukraine is waning that um, Mm -hmm. the american commitment to defending other democracies has a cap and um they're willing to test it they're willing to test it now with israel i don't think that that alliance is ever going to go anywhere I think that, you know, they are too indispensable of an ally when it comes to um, just getting receiving intelligence on on the Middle East region. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that that will ever, ever um, go away. But what I think China and Russia are, are hoping is that if the U.S. is distracted and putting all its time and effort into um, protecting Israel, that, you know, the political pressure to protect Taiwan and the Ukraine will be minuscule. Right. Right. And I I think the, the budget negotiations that are happening in Washington, I think China and and many of these countries are keeping a very close eye. Um, Israel, I believe asked for 10 billion um, today in funding and what what is the rhetoric around that going to be? Is there support for ten billion, or you know, is maybe that we can only get the votes for five billion? You know, and what message does that send to around the world? Um, how strong then is the U.S. military? Even if we have the strongest military, how strong are the people of the military? And um, you know, another factor is is we have the best technology but we don't have a big reserves and we don't have the numbers of, of individuals here and so a long drawn out war is going to be very costly so how does that all factor in in the game of chess here other countries are, are sitting back and watching and, and trying to figure out where they fit into all this it's going to be interesting what iran chooses to do um you know especially if yeah, you know, they try to draw some red lines to talk tough to Israel. If you keep going forward with what you're doing in Gaza, there's going to be repercussions to pay. But Iran knows, Iran knows that the moment they invade northern Israel, their leadership is dead. Their government's right. dead. It, 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 there's just, and that's what those aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean represent. That is your death waiting for you. I, I just and don't know, know how that. calculated. <laughs> right, right, and and so I, I don't I don't know how 
if if something were to break out, if a war was to break out with Hezbollah uh, in in northern Israel and it became you know stretched, um, you know, re- recently I think uh, as much as like seven months ago, the U.S. conducted a military operation exercise, a military exercise with Israel that was um, it involved like the most. Um, oh, there's a, there's a word I'm looking for. It was it was the most it was the most sophisticated, but also collaborative military exercise that had ever been conducted between the two countries. Um, okay. And it demonstrated to the world just how interconnected the U.S. and Israeli uh, military militaries are. And so, mm-hmm. if, if you try to do anything, if you're Iran, you're you're, you're just yeah. You know, and, and and again, this is what what the U.S. is trying to convey to the other countries is that. Um, you know, if you normalize with Israel, you normalize with us. It's it's a it's a, you know, and, and so it, it creates a an interesting you know geopolitical landscape. Yeah, well, and and you know, Iran knows that you know their their our military strength is basically saying the leadership's going to be dead if they try to do anything, and that's why they use these proxy groups. They use Hamas and Hezbollah. Right. And they don't. They don't fight directly; they fight indirectly. They prop up other groups. They provide drones um, to these countries. They provide missiles. They provide guns and ammo and 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 training and financing and and you know the list is endless of what they can provide, except for humanitarian aid to the civilians, um, and that's how they funnel it. <laughs> You know, it, that's the whole thing is like they can provide everything except for humanitarian great, aid. What a great point. That's and, so true. It's like six billion doses missing. Oh, what do you know? Rockets, infrastructure? No. No, no. infrastructure in Gaza. Right. Never. <laughs> right? I, because the reality is the EU provided pipes they're such for water and sewer systems in, in Hamas. And you have videos of Hamas tearing them out of the ground and making pipe bombs out of them. And Iran knows this and they're funneling, you know, further supplies to make that a reality. And, um, you know, partnering with the aid they these countries and, and different groups are getting from around the world, that is humanitarian aid. And then they say, well, what, what did that aid provide that you can make for militization and we'll, we'll backfill, um, you know, in the early days after um, October 7th, Israel bombed two different airports and it was caused with a lot of controversy. Um, And part of the reason for that was Iranian um, planes flying to those locations. Um, One that was presumed to have, um, it was a cargo plane and presumed to have um, either weapons or or some kind of supply. Otherwise, why would you be sending a, a plane to that area? The other had some leaders as well. And, so they're they're providing direct support um and it the reports coming the wall street journal broke the news early on that you know iran would have had to give the green light for the invasion october 7th of israel um they are not acting alone um and it it's a little fuzzy of how everything and the full level of support is is not clear but it's not 
fuzzy whatsoever. It is abundantly clear that there is direct support oh, yeah. happening there. Hamas said so. They said it. Correct. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Hamas says they said as much. It's not a, it's not a secret. And, you know, I, I would, I would make this point. If you are questioning about whether or not you know Hamas is a terrorist organization, um, again, I, I know that that people that I know would say that you know, the individual fighters in Hamas, you know, have had no meaning in their lives. That's a separate category. I'm talking about the leadership in Hamas, people who orchestrated this attack. Right. They collaborated with the Iranians. I, I mean, like, which are, they're the greatest exporter of terrorism in the world. I mean, this is mm -hmm. just not a, a, a anyway. Um, the, you know, have, just the, the understanding of how to get through the fence along the Gaza border it is the most highly sophisticated fence in the world. It goes down yeah, no tens of feet, you know, several feet thick of concrete. Um, there's, they say, you know, if a cat tries to get through, the Israeli forces would know. But, you know, a large scale invasion happens like this. It does not happen with multiple collaboration of, of power and different resources. Um, so it, yeah. And it's clear. And and I think the U.S. has been very hesitant to speak about this in the wake of recent news. Um, Biden administration has not want to really recognize Iran's role in all of this, partly because of the negotiation with the prisoner swaps, where six individuals um, from each side, six prisoners the U.S. had, were exchanged for six prisoners Iran had, along with $6 billion in funds that we gave. So it wasn't a, a one for one swap. It was a one for one plus a billion per person. And, yeah. you know, the Biden administration has been trying to rekindle the Obama years negotiations and done doing so has provided a, a long, long leash for Iran to benefit through it all with the U.S. having no benefit at all through it so far. Um, and now, now you're stuck in a situation where Biden's either going to have to backtrack or just completely finagle in a Cold War way with Iran. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, I, you know, I think Biden deserves a ton of credit through this whole process. He has shown tremendous leadership around the world. Um, he has said some very strong and bold statements. He has not minced words. He has basically not done everything he has done up until this point in his presidency. He's really trying to show the U.S.'s force here, which has been really, I think, honorable and, and has allowed for a lot less escalations um, in the I'm going to send you uh, some Biden paraphernalia. <laughs> Biden boy. And boy. Give credit where credit deserves. That's all. That's all. I, I can. I'll uh, pull out my list of my laundry list of criticisms. We can. We can go over those as well. But. Oh. Um, but we'll give him. The, we'll give him this one. And yeah, I mean, he's up against. You know, the Democratic Party is kind of torn on this subject, and I think yeah. he is saying, "Where is America's interest in all this, and how do we prevent a global war 
Um, and yeah. I think a lot of other folks that are coming at this are looking at it as an isolated incident. Incident. Yeah. And I think Biden has really been able to look at this as where's America's role in this. It's not. It's not Israel and Palestine exclusively, and and also what else could happen from this. And and I think he's really been able to navigate that well. That's a you know that's a really good point actually. I think it's one we can probably wrap up on, which is that it the it would be way worse if we didn't have aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean and then Iran invaded Israel. You know, I mean, right. e- e- if, 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 if Iran, no, when I say Iran invades Israel, I'm talking obviously through Hezbollah or something. Um, if that happens, you know, no matter how swift and, you know, destructive the U S military is stopping something that's already started uh, is much more difficult than just preventing it to begin with. And Correct. the last thing we need to be doing, especially if um, you know we want to protect Taiwan, is to be passing funding bills to fund the Ukrainians and fight a war in against Iran and Israel or you know in, in Lebanon or wherever it would take place, um, or and, and then also try to deter China from invading Taiwan. I mean that that's just you're, you're starting to spread yourself out way too much and. And uh, I think that's a I think that's a really apt point, which is that you know Biden may not actually even be that pro-Israel. He, you know, he his party is certainly not there, but he sees the geopolitical significance of this. That if a war breaks out, you know, now you're going to have Russia invading a country. You're going to have Iran invading a country. It's next up is China. You know, and who's going to stop these countries from violating sovereignty? You know, of other countries. And you know, we're we're I guess the world policeman. You know, and um, he realizes that the best job that a policeman can do is go to the place before the crime is committed so it doesn't happen. And um, I, I think that's a solid point. Yeah. And I think that's a point that's kind of redundant at this point. It's like, haven't we said this a million times? But I think there's a reason. It's because it's the effective method. And, um, you know, I think, like you said, that's a great kind of point to end on. Um yeah and so forth so well uh i think that that i think that does it for this uh this episode of yuppies and harpoons uh if you enjoyed listening to this you found this you know very very offensive please don't ever listen to us again don't leave a review don't leave any anything we just we don't really no comment i want to hear it i want to hear it let's bring it on send me an email send me an email yeah uh no but um like scripts you know subscribe share all that stuff is very very helpful um but um once again we plan to be here next week there was a little bit of a scheduling uh, mishap on my part so sorry someone for had podcast, some midterms folks. i did i had law school midterms and uh you can tell by the hair it needs cut i i'm in a hoodie it's it's not good so uh we'll uh, th- next week I'll, I'll be much more presentable and you can lose the under armor hat jacob um <laughs> I'll see ya